0: Greetings! Welcome to The Dialectic. This is a podcast by the Rajput and the Wasp. I'm Atul Singh. With me is Glenn Carl. Now, you might have heard about uh, our podcast in our previous episode in which we introduced it. Today, we are getting into the swing of things. Today is our first substantive discussion. Now, before we carry on, uh, you must know that Glenn is a scholar, he is an athlete, he uh, served in the CIA many years and today morning I woke up to see him sitting on his table with uh, the complete works of Montaigne uh, in French uh, uh, under his eyes, under his spectacled eyes now that he's older and and, uh, we got cracking uh, before too long uh, actually over breakfast and thereafter about a discussion on democracy. And and today's discussion will be on democracy. Is democracy in danger? And Glenn will bring you the perspective from America, from Europe. He is an American trained in the European humanist tradition. And of course, uh, Glenn will tell you a bit about me and uh, I will bring you the perspective from the East, uh, presumably a bit from the West too.
1: Well, I guess once an athlete, always an athlete, uh, which is, uh, I, can, I can claim uh, and, and hold on to. But I'm afraid, uh, if I'm honest, I have to admit that my, my athleticism consists perhaps of walking my dog um, and eating potato chips now. So uh, I have to uh, uh, return to previous ways in order to not feel uh, terrible about myself in that regard. But, but I was, certainly was an athlete, that's true. Now, Atul uh, may have found me reading Montaigne, but I found him doing a headstand, so um, he certainly gets the honors for athleticism now.
0: (laughs) Well, I suppose, uh, uh, now that you know that uh, one reads Montaigne and the other likes headstands, uh, we can get cracking, Uh, prima facie. Democracy is doing well, prima facie, you could say. uh, Africa has decolonized, some countries have elections, messy though they may be, South Africa no longer has apartheid, instead it has majority rule, um, which was inconceivable as early or as late as uh, 1991. It's only uh, uh, by 1994 or so that Africa, uh, South Africa became a democracy. East Asia no longer has military dictatorships, uh, Taiwan has elections, South Korea has elections, uh, Japan of course has had elections for a while. Eastern Europe is no longer under the boot of the Soviet Union. Latin America is no longer suffering from the CIA-led coups uh, anymore, or for that matter, fights Soviet, for freedom. You know, thanks to, to freedom. Exactly. Fights, fights for freedom. <laughs> fights for freedom. Exactly, or for that matter, Soviet-inspired insurrections, or, or correct, or or, correct. Or, 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 or 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 they would say um, a revolutionary, uh, a popular uprising for for. Um, for a utopian uh, world that they sought to create.
1: I I hope the listeners
0: understand that I am being facetious. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so too. I hope so too. Uh, But anyway, uh, so in a way, you could say Francis Fukuyama may be right. Uh, We may be in the early days of the end of history. Um, And uh, why is it uh, that uh, a chap from the East and a chap from the West uh, uh, who have both crisscrossed east and west uh, are now talking about democracy. Are we both funny duddies uh, or is there something uh, going on, Glenn?
1: Well, I I think from the the broad view of human history that your characterization is undeniable. Uh, today in the world, you can this has been measured empirically by by many. Uh, Without question, more people enjoy more rights, more governments are uh, rules and legally bound uh, than at any time in human history.
0: People live longer too. Women have the vote. Many, many, many things. People are are
1: wealthier uh, by all measures. People are healthier. Uh, People have more individual rights. There is less violence, uh, whether it be local violence, domestic violence, interstate violence, than at any time in history. All of that is true. Uh, It's also true, uh, if we take a slightly less meta perspective, uh, unfortunately, that uh, democracies uh, are are struggling and that there are uh, social stresses globally, uh, certainly in America, in Europe, and in all uh, societies, not just democratic, but in all democratic societies today, that are functions of uh, current sociological uh, trends, technological trends, that stress uh, democracies and place them under challenge. Uh, I I used to take uh, what is fundamentally the American default uh, assumptions, uh, a whiggish view of history, that it is progressive and moving forward to the broad sunlit uh, uplands that Churchill would talk about during World War II. Um, However, I don't any longer subscribe to that with as much confidence. Uh, I I now take a more uh, cyclical, almost cyclical view, or rather, my view of human nature is somewhat different, that of course it is consistent. The the ancient Greeks speak to me and to all of us today, because although they wrote 2,700 or 2,400 years ago, um, they are fundamentally the same as as we are, just living in different social technological circumstances. So I I find that there is a clear phase uh, now where the uh, internal contradictions of Aspirations for individual rights, um, comp- uh, competing with the urge of uh, social dynamics, uh, which are fundamentally tribal, unfortunately, but truthfully, uh, are leading to serious stresses. And the most um, glaring example, of course, is that we had Donald Trump uh, as a, uh, an American fascist, uh, lacking any, any, any objectives, really, other than power. And to represent the uh, anger, resentments, fears, and demands of a specific ethnic racial group in the United States. Uh, and that you see similar trends in Poland, in Hungary, uh, in Turkey, uh, in France, in Germany, uh, across the democratic world you see now as uh, disaggregation socially, or strains at least, that are, are certainly stressing the success of democracies.
0: Well, um, I mean, you spoke of um, ancient Athens, and um, as you remember, I was uh, on Capitol Hill that day on January sixth, and uh, I took my father's advice and uh, and started rereading Plato, and and uh, I have a nineteen eighty seven edition of the Republic, um, which uh, was translated by. Sir Desmond Lee the late classicist and and in the introduction he talks about Plato living in an age that which had abandoned its traditional moral code but found it impossibly difficult to create a new one Um, and Athenian democracy basically had degenerated into chaos and dissension Uh, remember this is a democracy that also forces Socrates arguably the founder of Western philosophy, to drink hemlock. So, uh, it has happened before that democracies, even small democracies, have uh, fallen prey to to the great unravelling. They have degenerated into discord, they have been docked by dysfunction, and they have become plagued by mob rule. Uh, the Roman Republic uh, uh, also went the Athenian way. At some point, oligarchs Took charge. They controlled all the land. Form triumphed over substance. Uh, democratic institutions decayed. Uh, populists emerged to lead the mob. Of course, uh, there are there were various ones. One of the best known was Tiberius Gracchus, who attempted agrarian reform, assembled a mob um, on the capital, but was clubbed to death in the Senate. Uh, so, in, in a way. Um, uh, this is nothing new, but what you allude to, uh, the disintegration of, uh, of society. Um, uh, that seems to be happening after a period of post-war calm, and especially after the period of great hope when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, and uh, this is what led Francis Fukuyama to talk about the end of history, and he thought a liberal democracy would be the final sort of uh, achievement of humanity. Uh, but in that in that promise lay a peril, uh, the promise of democracy came with a great peril because um, the common bonds that tie society together are no longer the same as you have said. And we are seeing populism. We are seeing anger. Uh, inequality has gone up. Social mobility has gone down. Um, in fact, America now has lower social mobility than Europe, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, is a frightening uh, um, idea, given the fact that America is based on this idea of the great American dream. Um, so all of this is not very healthy for for democracy, per se.
1: Yeah, well, what is happening, I think? Uh, your example in, in democracies, your example of uh, ancient Greece and, and Rome is is apt. And it's not because I'm a, a fuddy-duddy classicist. Uh, the classicists speak to us because they um, they lived before our time, the same stresses and problems that, that we now know as, as humans trying to organize, organize ourselves into society. So what is democracy? Democracy is um, a structure of government that <clears throat> enables the competing factions and groups in a society to uh, adjudicate and share power Uh, without the use of violence. The only only authorized use of violence in a successful state, and certainly in a democracy, uh, is held by the uh, government itself. When that breaks down, when one faction becomes intransigent, um, uh, refuses to accept uh, the peaceful um, alternation or competition and and sharing of uh, power, uh, you you have violence. Uh, Socrates had to drink the hemlock because the conservative uh, optimates, I think they were called. That might be that is Roman with, times it, with the Romans. Yeah, yes, the Romans were the, the optimates, the, yeah. the conservative faction that that Plato, frankly, represents. I'm not a huge fan of Plato. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is um, was triumphant and uh, and suppressed the uh, the challenge uh, of the other faction. They were able to do so. The, the Roman Republic fell not because caesar was a totalitarian and a dictator but because caesar um, triumphed shortly but ultimately his faction uh, lost well after his assassination uh, in a clash between uh, the right the optimates and the and the uh, plebeians and the the broad social groups that had been well, they weren't disenfranchised they never had the franchise they were they were totally exploited this is the slave class and the and the what we would now call the working class or the peasant class. And, and it was uh, the triumph more than uh, had been the case of the uh, ruling elites who held on to uh, all of the power and all of the uh, capital uh, that led to revolution. Uh, uh, Caesar saw that the only way to save Rome was to reform the Republic. And of course, that meant to take away the control from some of the ruling elite factions and they assassinated him, while believing that they were protecting democracy for them, democracy was the rule of themselves. Today it's the same story, we aren't having a course in ancient history here, now, what's happened in, in the United States, which is, is representative really, not unique, of the stresses on democracy uh, everywhere. As the, um, you, If you say ruling elite is misleading because that implies uh, powerful rich people. If you, as the ruling, uh, culturally determining class, uh, which is frankly the white race, uh, is uh, challenged in its uh, historic uh, preeminence, even if they were poor, they defined what it was to be American and who got to say what about what, um, loses uh, power, frankly, to, uh, the, to other groups, be they uh, black, or female, or foreign, or uh, other economic power centers, that creates resentment. Uh, So paradoxically, perversely, triumphantly, but tragically, the success of the American experiment, of the democratic experiment, of giving power to all individuals and all groups equally, uh, as it progressively comes closer, uh, parenthetically, for the first time in history in America, uh, there is uh, now reasonable opportunity for a black american to succeed in mainstream society that was not the case when i was growing up etc uh, etc et then you have resentment and you have the tribune of the angry uh, which represents those who are perceive themselves to be losing their power uh, donald trump or victor orban uh, or uh, the national front in france and so on and and so the success of democracy uh, c- contains the seeds of its stress and and the challenge to it that we're living.
0: So you've hit upon something uh, very pertinent in terms of racial diversity. Um, America of today is very different to the America of your childhood. Mm. Um, completely different. You see um, Asians on television, African-Americans on television. The new James Bond movie has... Uh, a uh, tall uh, 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 West African woman uh, who is uh, who is the new zero zero seven, and this was inconceivable in the days of Sean Connery. Inconceivable, yeah. Uh, so that's all good, but what has also happened, um, particularly uh, at uh, at uh, the level of uh, uh, the primary schools or or across uh, the rest of the country, is. Uh, uh, is, um, is, uh, sadly, um, and, uh, and, uh, an emaciation of, uh, of, uh, uh, opportunities because what has happened is that, yes, whilst racially you're absolutely right, someone like me as an immigrant can come and, uh, and, uh, start Fair Observer, uh, what is also true that if you're born on the wrong side of the tracks in West Virginia, or for that matter, in Mississippi, or for that matter, uh, in South Dakota, uh, I- I- the American economy and the American society is no longer running public schools the way it used to. So uh, you do not have the GI Bill anymore. colleges become more expensive. So uh, you-, you look at 60 percent of Americans, they have five hundred dollars uh, dollars. Which can uh, they don't have $500 which can cover mm-hmm. a, a sudden expense? I'd heard 400 actually. But, well, it you know. may be four. I mean, this yeah. is from 2017. So, what is clear is that um, inequality has gone up, social mobility has gone down. Two points I've already made. But what has also happened is that uh, the great American dream for a lot of uh, poorer people is under threat. And, and when they see some communities do well, such as the Jewish community, the Indian-American community, the Chinese-American community, the Korean-American community, they, uh, they they feel resentful. Yes. Uh, that combination is, is not ideal. And also, I think, uh, with greater diversity, um, the common bonds... Um, uh, have frayed a bit, the, you know, that have that they've also been helped by the privatization of the commons. So you get a lot of identity politics today, which which leads to a deepening of fissures and, and, and just pressures in society.
1: Absolutely. F- fundamentally, when the pie is expanding, then even if the pie is not perfectly baked, everyone can have a broader piece or at least yeah, hope to. Absolutely. And, and that, that was the case uh, more in America than any other society in, in history, until After world war II. until 1980 you can Actually, almost you yeah. can almost date it precisely and and we have been um, uh, misled um, by the uh, happy historic aberration of uh, america from 1933 really 1945 until 1980 when there was truly greater opportunity for all levels it might have been unequal amounts of benefit but there was, as President Kennedy said, a rising tide raises all boats. Now, people had different sized boats, but, but there was um, opportunity. Why did this occur? It occurred because, and this, this is established empirically, Thomas Piketty has written extensively about this, and is, it's definitive.
0: The French uh, economic French historian. Economic, French economic yeah. historian. For our, for our listeners.
1: For yeah. almost the only time in history, from 1945 until 1980, there was social um, reallocation, Uh, redistribution. And the working class uh, came to have progressively greater uh, power because it had a greater share of the national pie. Um, That uh, led to the greater opportunity. At the same time, we've spoken about the changes in in sociology in American society. Uh, At the same time that those changes occurred, this um, redistribution, greater equity um, stopped And what has happened is that America has reverted to, unfortunately, historic norms of societies. The American pattern is identical to that of ancient Rome and every other society, which means the concentration of wealth. I think Atul mentioned that uh, something like 2% of the population controls uh, 60% or 50% of all Uh, wealth.
0: I haven't uh, yet mentioned it. I think Um, I I, I mentioned it in our uh, earlier conversation, uh but 10% of... Americans own 84% of all shares in the U.S. and the top 1% own about 50% of shares. So, And 50% right. of Americans own almost no stocks at all. Well, uh, stocks may
1: be a little misleading. Uh, yeah. No capital.
0: That's true. Uh, they, 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 no I mean, resources. They, exactly. And they don't even
1: have $500 in savings. Yeah. And so when that happens, at the same time that the, the foundations of the national myth in society, and I don't say myth in a, in a pejorative way at all, yeah. uh, what gave... American society cohesion and a sense of purpose and opportunity, uh, as, as those foundations change uh, demographically, the opportunities that, that created uh, literally a halcyon two generations no longer obtain. And when you have lack of opportunity with revolutionary social change, you will have almost revolutionary resentments. And thus you have a reaction. You have Donald Trump, you have Viktor Orban, And democracy is stressed by, uh, perversely, uh, partially the success of the ideal uh, combined with the failure of its economic uh, model of uh, creating opportunity instead of concentration
0: of wealth. And so uh, you talked about concentration of wealth, are uh, the current elites, uh, the the? Uh, in particular, the financial elites who've profited most from it to blame, because uh, if we look at um, the way the economy is structured, the way uh, they've benefited from loose monetary policies, such as quantitative easing and uh, rising capital prices, um, is it that this failure of elites is what is leading to so much of anger? Because if you go back to... The well, day-
1: it's the success of the elites which leads to social <laughs> failure. That, that, I mean, you know, if, and the selfishness of people and, and those who have more take more yeah. and consider it theirs and mm-hmm. don't want to give up what they have. This is human nature. But if you have but, $1 but look, billion, dollars, uh, let you have me more push power back. than with mean,
0: $400. Yeah, I mean, look, but let me push back. I mean, your father fought in World War Two. your grandfather fought in World War One. So I'm not saying everything was hunky-dory. After all, there were world wars. Uh, but the elite then or the elites then had a noblest oblige. They were willing to fight and die for something they believed in. Your father spent his life promoting public education. Uh, today, of course, instead of um, people championing public education, the elites send their kids to private school or they send them to schools um, in, in very posh uh, d- districts. Uh, well,
1: well, I think you're projecting my natural personal excellence back on my family heritage. When... <laughs> When, when you know, my father would snort and be derisive uh, if anyone characterized him, his family, or my grandfather as members of the elite.
0: Oh, well, they weren't elite hope, elite. <laughs> one would hope
1: um, representatives of a uh, meritocratic society where effort and talent uh, can uh, succeed, but certainly they were, they were not. Members of the haves.
0: Uh, well, they, they weren't <laughs> the Brahmins, the Boston Brahmins. I, no, no. I, I understand, but what but we I'm saying. But we they were wasps. They were wasps,
1: exactly. Which and who would want to be anything else?
0: Exactly, That's exactly. Uh, so, so, let's talk about White Anglo-Saxon Protestants in World War One, and World War Two, uh, and yes, they they were the dominant elite. But to be fair to them, 1920, uh, under their watch, votes came to women. 1945. Um, They put their lives on the line and they created a post-war order. They acted out of altruism. Yes, uh, it's become fashionable to say everyone acts in their own selfish interest. But I think human beings are a curious combination of both selfishness and altruism. And uh, I think uh, at various points, when um, the Greeks have this fantastic term called kairos. I mean, there's chronos, which is chronological, and kairos, where you can bend the arc of time to your will. And at points of Kairos, I would argue that far-seeking elites have been willing to act not for private benefit, but for um, public uh, welfare. And and the Romans always said that if you had public squalor and uh, private splendor, then something was rotting in society. And when I travel around America, and I've driven across America four times, when I go to San Francisco in particular... And I see the grim homelessness combined with the lavish opulence. Somehow, something doesn't quite stick. Well,
1: I think two points, and, and maybe uh, we are running out of time. I defer to you on that. But uh, but I would have two uh, possibly final thoughts that I think are directly relevant. Uh, Max Weber, whom I admire tremendously, he's fallen, he hasn't so much fallen out of favor as fallen, I think, out of his central a, a uh, position in, in sociology as as um, when I was in college. Nonetheless, Max Weber studied uh, what is it that led to the Puritan, the, the Protestant uh, Anglo-Saxon success, yeah.
0: uh, economically, economic The Protestant socially, work critically. ethic and in the spirit of capitalism. And, and, it's and, a classic.
1: And he, he argued, um, I think pretty compellingly, that the, uh, quote, secret to their success, social success, was deferred gratification. It doesn't make sense to... Um, not have, not eat the uh, banana you pull down from a tree because, you know, there it is and, and it won't last. But if you, you defer some of your gratification, you actually um, develop savings and you become stronger, have more uh, possibilities in the future than you would otherwise. And that seems to be the difference between uh, economically dynamic societies and, uh, and societies that have uh, traditional practices where consumption People work to meet their immediate needs and then, relatively speaking, stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this deferred gratification uh, seems not to, because of part of the structures of society and pol- our politic political system, uh, doesn't seem to have um, as much hold on the American culture and on, or perhaps on democracy, any
0: culture today. On any
1: culture, as it's consumerism as, worldwide yeah, as previously. And the second thing is. When I graduated from Harvard, is you know I, I remember one sentence from the uh, remarks of the Harvard president, whose name was Derek Bach at the time. This goes back 45 years or whatever it is, but no matter. And, and he said, welcome to the, the community of educated men and women, where you have now learned uh, some of those healthy constraints that make us free, which means that uh, unless you accept uh, bounds to your uh, freedom and to what you may have and do uh, all will suffer and and in uh, society becomes uh, av- more selfish avaricious and less functioning and and this sounds like a social conservative perspective i don't think that i am but i think those two uh, attributes because of social and structural changes to our uh, political system um, no longer obtain as much and and we're struggling as a result
0: yeah, and was, we'll carry on for a bit because we are having such an interesting conversation. And I would uh, uh, talk about social media. The two points you said mm. touch directly upon social media. And uh, it's not that um, tabloids didn't exist before. It is not that propaganda didn't exist before. It is not that deceit or falsehood didn't exist before. But what social media has done today is fueled fires filled all these fires and they spread faster and more virally to use a social media term and more destructively. And uh, to give the example of the British East India Company, um, which is very apt as far as I'm concerned, um, social media also relies on addiction. They get you to spend as much time for, uh, um, for as much content as possible and suck away your data and once they have got your attention and they have your data, then they can sell you ads. And this addictive economy, and there have been many controversies. There, was, there have been hearings in the Senate. There have been hearings in Singapore, in the UK. And, and this this phenomenon has led to um, what some would call the post-truth world. Uh, so do you think, given, given uh, the, the, the very nature of social media where people are not meeting in person where a sense of community in-person community has got diluted where people are living in a virtual universe and now of course Facebook is called meta um, <laughs> uh, do, do we have an unprecedented pressure on uh, and threat to democracy as as actually an internet entrepreneur Pierre Omidyar himself, uh, wrote in the Washington Post, uh, I
1: believe, a few years ago. But I, I think we are. And I, and I don't think democracy is possible, possible. I don't think any society can function, whatever its uh, political structures, unless there is a broadly speaking accepted national narrative and social consensus. Now, it doesn't mean everyone has to be the same uh, at all. One hopes not. The consensus could be that diversity is acceptable. But when the consensus is that diversity is a threat to us and makes you an other, then society becomes violent and breaks down. So I think what is happening is that we're having, in, in a ironic, tragedy, tragic uh, evolution, we're having the triumph of individual, individualism, which is the foundation of Western society, something I champion and prize. All of us, I think, do in our societies, most, most of all of us, yeah, but where everyone is equal, where is the truth and who gets to shape where um, how we should function? Uh, so our triumph leads to tensions. Secondly, what you touched upon, fundamental, we're living literally a revolution uh, socially because of technological change, uh, uh, which is the social media and the digitization of individual interactions. All of us have experience and are familiar with the concept of road rage. And why does this happen? Road rage happens because individuals sit in the... In the Cubicle of their their vehicle. They don't know the people around them in the other cars, and they therefore have no social, unconscious social obligations to behave in a civilized way and to defer, to uh, seek communal um, uh, positions. They just react viscerally, instinctively, in, in isolated individual ways. Similarly, this happens with social media, and thus we have. At first, I was bemused why there is such concern about bullying among our children on social media. And I thought we all grew up in the playgrounds. And of course, humans always will seek a pecking order and be nasty to one another sometimes. And you'll have friends and enemies and so on. And so you just, that's part of growing up.
0: But actually, we both grew up with the odd punch up. Absolutely,
1: which was a socially healthy way of establishing one's individuality and sense of self and, and how one fit in or didn't or what one had to do to get along in society. But all of these things now are done in a way that is, uh, creates social enemy and uh, a lack of the uh, unconscious and conscious assumptions of how one should behave. I, I think a, a good example of what's happening throughout society is I was um, on a tourist boat in France many years ago and there was a Japanese group, tourist group, and they were behaving frankly like monsters. They were, they were just gross in their behavior uh, disturbing everyone around them. It was shocking. The and Japanese why are the, generally why known was to be very the, polite. Well, And why was that the case? I, I finally was so upset that I said, um, I, I spoke directly to uh, one of them, and I said, stop this. I said, you're really being rude. And he was mortified because all of a sudden I had broken the, the bubble and I had become a human being to whom he had obligations. Hmm. And instantaneously their group behavior became absolutely model behavior. They were mortified that they had acted in a, in a way um, un, uh, unconsiderate, uh, inconsiderate, unconsiderate inconsiderate of the people around them. But until we, they had established this human connection, we did not exist as people. That's what happens in the car. Uh, that's what happens in social media. And that leads to uh, uh, individual uh, horrific behavior, destructive. It leads to tribalism where groups feel threatened by the outsider uh, and that destroys social consensus, um, damages the possibility of successful democracy. uh, And uh, this is happening as our society goes through the revolution of social uh, change and by increasing opportunity, we also are creating
0: tensions. That's something very interesting. You're touching upon tribalism fed by algorithms echo chambers, filter bubbles. Uh, and these days, if you watch something on YouTube, which is a great source of information, but also if you watch one football video, it throws a million other football videos at you. If you watch a Steve Bannon video, uh, which I have, I've watched all of his interviews sure. on YouTube. I must move away. <laughs> Yes, you probably must. (laughs) It's very educational and instructive, but that is because YouTube then decides to spit out every single of those types of videos. Now, uh, when that happens, then you are creating this extraordinary vortex. Um, You're creating a vortex in which um, uh, suddenly people only engage with people like them. They only see information that is true to them. And then uh, you, you you get uh, this uh, echo chamber where what's true um, is it what Albert Einstein uh, posited or is it what uh, let's say Joe the Plumber says uh, the Earth could be flat Donald yeah. Trump well yes and 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 this is the, the perfect, great sage yeah is, and this is the perfect fill for identity politics which mm. is plaguing. Uh, uh, much of America, and it's not just Steve Bannon and people on the right, I mean, the illiberalism in American universities, the woke self-righteousness that exists today is frightening as well. It's Mm. very reminiscent of uh, uh, the reign of terror in some ways, the intolerance of the reign of terror, or or, or, for that matter, communists uh, in In the 1930s. Yeah, exactly. And, And at the same time, as you've talked about a lot, there has been a thickening of processes in democracy, democracy costs a lot. I come from India uh, today to stand uh, for election in India. is a huge capital expense, and which is why so many of the people getting into politics in India are um, people not exactly of squeaky clean backgrounds. A record number of criminals have entered free um, here as well. Uh, politicians are are um, or congressmen are are fundraising sixty to seventy percent of the time and every two years they are running. And uh, uh, yes, American um, constitution makers were people of great foresight and we still have the first republic here, whilst in France you have the fifth republic, but they did not envisage nonstop attack ads, non-stop fundraising, uh, and very little legislation or questioning of the executive. What has happened is a triumph of interest groups in many democracies. If you cut through the noise, if uh, you know, uh, democracy in use words of Shakespeare has become full of sound and fury, uh, sometimes not always, signifying nothing. And yet, it is it is a beautiful and treasured form of government, which when it works, is spectacularly better than the Xi Jinping model.
1: Yeah, I don't think the founding fathers uh, um, misunderstood. I think they they actually uh, assessed correctly and 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 designed the system uh, well to... I didn't say they to, misunderstood, no, but to, I said they couldn't well, envisage this world. To, to adjudicate the the clash of factions. That was mm-hmm. explicitly what they were up to do. Yeah. They assumed that factions and elites would always rule. Uh, what the system isn't designed to do, so they, they, they designed it to address a certain kind of society, but it's not designed to address a revolutionary social situation, which is what... Uh, I think all societies uh, in the modern technological and progressively diverse world sociologically um, are experiencing, and and how one can uh, peacefully, democratically uh, change a social paradigm and transfer power from uh, one faction to others, um, almost no society has successfully ever managed to do that.
0: So, how do we succeed in preserving democracy? Uh, hmm. What would you say? What uh, what would be your uh, thoughts to reassure yeah. our listeners so, so that they don't get too depressed and start drinking too much vodka or whiskey? Yeah, no, <laughs> well, don't,
1: do, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't even drink Diet Coke um, <laughs> or Coke. Or Coke, yeah. uh, which now will be sued or something because we've, <laughs> we've disparaged the foundation of American <laughs> commerce. I don't know. Um, well, my, my hope, I guess, uh, hopeful perspective would be if society, if our system of government can succeed in uh, creating a, a system that redistributes uh, wealth a small uh, amount and at least stops the progressive concentration thereof, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that would then give hope, uh, it would give opportunity and thus hope. Mm-hmm. To uh, a much broader segment of society. That's what stopped roughly in 1980. Um, and it was, uh, unfortunately for everyone, uh, the fact that there was uh, some meaningful redistribution and greater opportunity for the masses post World War II is historically an aberration, but it, it is, at least is possible and I think necessary
0: for the successful functioning of a democracy excellent so if we could have less concentration of wealth and if we could have um, if we could have uh, more opportunity and greater social mobility and a sense of common purpose in society then then we could uh, still have a decent democracy and uh, on the whole um, uh, there is uh, something to look forward to in large parts of the world people are voting for the first time they, they are experiencing great upheaval in in a country like India, you, you, you're you seeing elections wherein people like Mamta Banerjee or in Vespa Gaul or Narendra Modi, both of whom come from humble backgrounds, or even Narvind Kejrivald. These are all first-generation politicians. They are not fifth-generation Skaians, unlike the Nehru family. So there is a great democratization happening in some parts of the world, if not all parts of the world. And, and maybe uh, uh, that is something uh, that... Um, will happen all over the world. And as long as we can curb the excesses, we might be all right.
1: Uh, long term, yeah. Uh, all, yes, uh, all change, any change is stressful. And we're experiencing, uh, I think literally, uh, by the definitions, revolutionary social changes in just about every society now.
0: And technological um, and economic. And, yes,
1: uh, most of which individually are good changes but together um, cause stress and uh, people lash out when stressed and when things change, even if for the better, even change for the better
0: makes people unhappy. All right. This is it from the two of us, the booth and the Wasp, uh, the dialectic a podcast by Fair Observer. Uh, please um, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social media and, uh, and engage in the conversation. Let us know what we should talk about next. We look forward to seeing you again. All the best wherever in the world you happen to be. And bye for now. Until next time.